right, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week we have a brand new friend. This is Jasmine. Say hi, Jasmine. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to be here. Yay. I'm so excited to talk to you today. First of all, about our really cool animal, but we'll get into that in a minute. Before we talk about our cool animal today, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for our friends and tell us who you are and what got you into working with coyotes? Yeah. So um, my name's Jasmine. I'm also known as Sunny. Um, I kind of go by both names, so I don't want anybody to get confused. I'm the same person. Don't worry. I guess right now I'm kind of a master's student in limbo. So I got my bachelor's of science in zoology um, at UC Santa Barbara and then wanted to be a wildlife biologist, but that's like a crazy competitive field. So I just kind of ended up going back to school and doing environmental policy and management. And so, you know, my program at first, it like started off, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to kind of look into kind of wildlife and the natural world in the context of cities and stuff. Um, and at first I concentrated on urban gardening, which was like, cool, but like I just wasn't passionate about it. And then I happened to find that there's a lot of controversy surrounding the management of coyotes. Um, so I started to kind of look more into it and it just kind of ended up being this rabbit hole that I like live in now. <laughs> so yeah, there's just, a, there's a lot of not only ethical controversy, but cultural controversy and that's actually rooted hundreds and hundreds of years ago in colonialism. And so that really pushed me to not only want to learn more about coyotes, but get involved with kind of destigmatizing the species and getting people to learn more about them. And so with that, I've ended up kind of venturing more into SciCom, which is science communication. And that led me to kind of build my network a little bit on Twitter and Instagram and eventually come back to an old habit of mine or an old hobby of mine, which is writing um, blogs and stuff on uh, scientific research. And so I used to, back in 2015, I was doing a blog and it was called Creation Changes. And I had been doing that for several years and I rebooted it to now uh, Black Flower Science Co. And that's what I do now. I'm a science writer partially for that. And yeah, all of these things have kind of come together for me to just kind of talk about and obsess about coyotes all the time and yell at people for being mean to them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with yelling at people for being mean to coyotes. Yeah, definitely need that PR makeover. Yeah, for sure. For sure. They've been villainized for a very long time. And it's really it's really undeserved. I would like it to stop, please. (laughs) We're here to stand up for the coyotes. They're just big puppies and you got to be nice to them. Yeah, they're not doing anything. They're just living their lives. So when we're talking about coyotes, I think that there's probably a lot of not clear understanding on how coyotes are different from the other like North American canids, right? So like, yeah. how are they different from dogs, wolves, stuff like that? I know you can get into some gray area when you get into like koi dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. But like in introducing us to like getting to know the coyote a little bit better, um, like how is the coyote different from wolves and dogs? Yeah, so coyotes are, so there's a term known as plastic or plasticity. And that's basically a fancy science term for saying they're super adaptable. So coyotes are very different from their wolf cousins and their fox cousins and all these kinds of things just because of the wide variety of lifestyles that they can adapt to. So as we know, wolves tend to live in packs and they're really, really big. I will have to double check the weight that wolves can get to. I believe it's up to, you know what, it's like 140 pounds. That's the maximum weight that a wolf can get to. They're pretty big. Whereas a coyote, at least on the West Coast, and this is where we'll get into a little bit of gray area here, but on the West Coast, coyotes can only get to about 50 pounds maximum. So they're much smaller. A standard dog that people usually compare coyotes to is the German Shepherd. I tend to compare them to huskies more because that's kind of more their weight class. Um, But also people assume that coyotes are much bigger than they are because of their coats, because of how fluffy they are, how they tend to be sometimes. But it's really, it's kind of a pretense, I guess. (laughs) Kind of, it's got some 
a benefit to it because they seem a lot bigger. They seem like they, a lot bulkier. They can defend themselves a lot better. But yeah, it's just as if, you know, if you toss a bucket of water on them, they probably deflate and you see how skinny that thing is. So yeah, coyotes tend to be kind of around huskyish size. You can expect them to be the, the height of a German Shepherd. And that's kind of why people tend to compare them to German Shepherds so much, um, which makes them might be a little bit off, but maybe about half the size of a wolf. Um, when it comes to foxes and stuff, they're a lot bigger than their fox cousins. I don't have the weight of what foxes tend to be. I would guess around maybe 20, 30 pounds, whereas a coyote is much bigger than that. And when it comes to comparing all of them, they also have different diets, slightly different. So a coyote, they do eat meat, but they're also scavengers and they also like to eat fruit and vegetables. So they kind of just, they're what we call opportunistic. So if they've got an opportunity to eat, they're going to eat. They're doesn't really matter what it is. They're just going to try to eat. Also, as far as size and, and behaviors and stuff, wolves tend to hunt much bigger prey because not only are they bigger, but again, like we said, they're, they live in packs. Um, coyotes can live in packs, but they tend to live on their own as well. So when they go hunting, they might go after rodents. Um, they might go after rabbits and just generally smaller animals, whereas wolves have the numbers and the weight to kind of take down an elk or something like that. Um, the biggest thing that a coyote pack would take down would probably be a deer. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot of differences in kind of the behavior and the ecology and just the lifestyles that these different animals that they adapt to. We did recently see at least one coyote. We hear them all the time, but we saw one back behind our backyard um, recently. I didn't see it. My husband saw it. And he told me that it was a lot smaller than he thought it would yeah. be. It was really not that big. <laughs> yeah, they're little scrawny things. <laughs> like, especially especially now, actually. Because, um, I mean, they go through kind of the same cycle, Um as dogs do, whereas they, you know, they build up their coat in the winter and then they shed it all off when things start to get warmer. So, you know, when you see them out in the heat and stuff like this, you're like, you're not as, uh, <laughs> as strong as I thought you were. You're kind of a skinny little thing. Definitely because we're here in Florida and our summers can get pretty gnarly. It's like, you know, pushing 100 degrees on a typical day here in Florida in the summer. Um, so is there much of a difference between like coyotes on the East Coast and coyotes on the West Coast? Like how much variance is there between like coyotes in different parts of the country? Yes, for sure. Um, the ones on the West Coast tend to be a lot smaller than the ones on the East Coast. Um the primary reason, now, I can't say that this is the only reason, but the primary reason being is as coyotes have made their way west, they have uh, hybridized with wolves. Um, hybridized meaning they've interbred with these different species. And it's primarily, I think they have bred with gray wolves, but um, red wolves are of the most concern um, as far as this hybridization goes because red wolves, as we probably know, are critically endangered. Um, and so when coyotes come into their habitat, they breed with them and it kind of, I hate to use this word, but just for, you know, for our sakes right now, it takes away the purity of the gene pool of the red wolves. So, yeah, so because they're interbreeding with these wolves who are much bigger than them, then they kind of have come to be a lot bigger than their cousins on the West Coast because the, the ones on the West Coast don't have access to, to breed with wolves in the way that the ones on the East Coast do. Um, I believe they've also, like I said, I believe they've also bred with gray wolves as well, but that's part of the, of the reasoning there, um, and which is interesting because the different habitats that are out there, if they're alongside these different wolves, that means they have different resources. And you would think because they're sharing this space with the, with the wolves that they would have less access to certain resources. But I don't know, they find a way. So in general, you can think of kind of the U.S. as a gradient. So from going west to east, they get slightly bigger as they kind of go towards the east coast. That makes sense. Are they found elsewhere besides the U.S.? Because I think of, in my mind, they're sort of linked together, like the United States and coyotes. Like, I think of that yeah, as being kind sure. of like like an iconic American animal. But are they found in other places? Yeah, so they're almost, for sure, they're throughout the entire North American continent. 
and have made their way into Central America. I don't know if they've made it as far as South America. Um, I would have to check. But historically, they are from the Southwestern United States. And also, they kind of did have um, an evolutionary history in Central America as well. So they come from these places, but over time, as humans have kind of spread out everywhere and changed the habitat and all this stuff, they've spread throughout the entire continent, which is part of why they're so controversial, because as people presumably have been trying to get away from them, <laughs> they just keep following us everywhere. So yeah, they definitely they exist throughout the entire North American continent down into Central America a little bit. I think that their just like ability to thrive in all of these different environments, right? Because like you go from one side of the U.S. to the other, that's extremely different. Like oh, they're yeah. very different habitats, but they're like, that's fine. We can we can party here too. Yeah, we care. We'll figure it out. That's yeah, that's their whole motto. They're just, they're just gonna figure it out. They do not care if they. I've heard somebody say. I wish I remembered who said this, but that they saw a coyote den just in the middle of a parking lot. <laughs> like they do not care. This <laughs> they is will find their way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anywhere that they can, if they can fit, they'll live there for sure. If they fit, they sit. <laughs> yeah, if they fit, they sit. <laughs> I think that's a good opportunity to bring up the first category that if this is your first time listening to this show, we rate our animals and give them a thorough review. And the first category we rate animals on is effectiveness, which is physical adaptations. So things that are built into the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. This is a predatory animal. So this might be like things that let it do a good job of like catching its prey, killing its prey, like just like survival stuff. Um, you mentioned that it's very adaptable. So it sounds like a generalist. So what kind of score would you give the coyote for effectiveness? I think I would give them a nine because the only reason that they're not perfect is because of the new habitat that we've introduced, which is the urban habitat. As far as their natural habitat, they are incredible. So let's say the ears, let's look at the ears first. So their ears, I, I don't have like specific metrics on, you know, what they can hear and what they can't, but whether they're in their natural habitat or they're in kind of a human dominated area those little satellites on the top of their head, like they can hear, they'll hear their um, prey species underground. So if you think of like, let's say a gopher and the gophers have these tunneling networks, they live underground, but a coyote, I don't know if anybody's really seen this. A lot of people assume that coyotes only, you know, kind of scavenge and hunt things that are on the surface. But if you ever happen to see, or you can look up a video, if you ever happen to see a coyote kind of looking at the ground, it'll have its, its head and ears directed at the ground. And it might be walking along the path just a little bit, but you'll see it stop and then you'll see it jump straight into the air and land right down in the hole. And they're doing that because they've been listening. They've been listening to where the, um, the gophers in this example are running underneath their feet under the ground. So they hear them coming. And as soon as they get to that hole, they'll jump up and they'll crash right into the hole and pick up their prey. And it is so, it, okay, it's a little bit morbid to describe this as adorable, but it's really adorable <laughs> to jump like that. So yeah, like just first off, that's an incredible, I always thought that was amazing that like you can hear things underground. That's kind of crazy. And then also, as far as their 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 weight and how that kind of plays into, I guess, their flexibility in their diet. So those two things together, their weight allows them to travel really long distances in a, I wouldn't say a relatively short time, but let's say comparatively. Because, you know, animals that are much bigger and, and it doesn't it's not necessarily um, directed specifically by body size, the way that animals migrate. But they travel really, really long distances, it, it, whether they're in a pack or whether they are living um, solitary. They'll be able to use their energy in a much more efficient way than, say, I'll, I'll, I'll compare them to their wolf cousins who are a little bit bigger, but you don't see them traveling the same kind of crazy distances that coyotes will just to find, to find food. And this is, um, I will say a disclaimer, coyote packs tend to set up a home range and stick there. They might travel to find that home range, but they'll just kind of stick in one area. 
Whereas solitary coyotes, these are the ones that kind of travel and do whatever the heck they want. <laughs> they just want to go find something to eat and they might go to a different place. But yeah, they're very, um, what's my little, my word here? Not spry, which is, I mean, which does describe them, but so their body weight along with their diet that makes them extremely agile first off when they're traveling over these long distances, but also as far as, you know, traversing different types of landscapes. So let's take an example from kind of an urban setting. I So I live in an area that's like kind of a rural area and we do have coyotes here. Um, they're like just across the street. There's this huge field across the street. I hear them every night. So we used to be warned like when we were kids, like to just to be careful because a coyote can jump over your fence and things like that. So even just little abilities to hop over different barriers or to travel very quickly over a short, over, over a long distance as far as running or whether it be being quiet to be stealthy and kind of avoid conflict um, whether that be humans or other competitor species there's just a lot of benefits of this kind of small body weight that they have and it also helps them to kind of as they're traversing over the the tunnel networks and stuff with the light weight that they have, you know, you don't want to be stomping on like the <laughs> ground that you're, you're trying to be quiet and hunt this prey. So they're able to, their light weight kind of nature allows them to do all of these different things. But also um, when it comes to what they eat, again, because they aren't this heavy, bulky animal, they don't quite need as much food or you know, subsistence as a wolf would. I keep comparing them to wolves because, you know, that's the closest um, example that we have here in North America, but they wouldn't need as much food. So they can go ahead and eat a gopher and then be on their way to the next area. They can eat a couple pieces of fruit and, you know, go and see their family somewhere else. So there's, there's a lot of uh, really good uh, adaptations that they have that kind of make them able to live their lives in many different places. Um, as far as not just coyotes specifically, but canids in general, they're able to be omnivorous because of the way that their jaw structure is, for lack of a better word, designed. Um, so, you know, they've got the the canines and stuff and the sharp teeth we call carnassials. And those are meant for cutting through meat. And so, you know, with the predatory species, you'll see a lot of those really sharp teeth. So they're specialized for being able to um, kind of slice through this meat and get it down effectively so they can digest it well. But in the back, they've also kind of got some molars like us. And that's what allows them to also be omnivorous. Because without those, if they were only to have those carnassials like cats, cats can't really eat fruit and vegetables as well as um, canids can, because all cat's teeth are those carnassials. They're all sharp and they're all meant for shearing through um, that meat. So canids, which are canines, dogs, they have that greater ability to break down that plant material in a way that allows them to digest it well. So that's the reason that they earn themselves a nine. But when it comes to, to urban habitats, you know, they've, they've got some... Uh, We've got some learning to do <laughs> as far as, I mean, there, there's always, there, you know, there's always that, <clears throat> that room to improve they, you know, they've got a really long evolutionary road ahead of them. Um, and, you know, we continue changing the urban habitat. Oh, <clears throat> that's one thing I wanted to say as far as their ears in the context of the urban wildlife, urban habitat, just imagine yourself just standing kind of on the sidewalk right now. And what do you think, are the things that you would be hearing just is in a city in the middle of a city and you're standing on the sidewalk what do you think you would be hearing i'm thinking of hearing like cars driving by um like people talking in the background maybe if there's like if you live near any sort of like industrial activity you might hear sounds like i i, I live in jacksonville florida where we have yeah. uh we're a big logistics center so you'll hear a lot of like trains and and boats and stuff passing by so like kind of the sounds of industry <laughs> yeah for sure we all know that canids dogs wolves coyotes everything their hearing is so much better than ours right so not only would they be they would be hearing these things but they'd be hearing it in a lot more detail but for coyotes they also have to kind of filter through all of these sounds and hear their prey if they're going to go find something to eat or anything like that. Again, with the whole ear adaptation, 
they have this incredible ability, and I don't really know the specifics behind it. I'd really love to learn more. This incredible ability to filter through all of these man-made sounds and listen for a raccoon that they might be wanting to eat, a, a gopher or a bird is just amazing. Because, you know, you're for me, if I'm standing in like a Walmart parking lot, I hear all of these, like you said, the cars and the talking, but I also, I'll hear the birds if they're right next to me. But you don't think about everything that these animals need to listen out for just to live their everyday lives. It's it's pretty incredible. So yeah, definitely they get they get that nine for sure. Do you know of any like physical adaptations that coyotes that live in urban areas are like developing that is different from like coyotes that live maybe out in more undeveloped areas? Like, are they changing more in response to being closer to human activity, like physically? Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, there was actually a study, was it, it was either last year or 2018, where they discovered that there's this kind of this feedback loop and it's about stress. And this is present in, in all animals. Um, as far as coyotes specifically are concerned, though, they have one of the, I think it was, I don't want to say it's the fastest. I'll just, I'll stay safe and say it's one of the fastest because that's quite a definitive statement. Um, <laughs> but it's one of the fastest uh, feedback loops for stress. And what that means is when animals hear these man-made sounds like honking horns or fireworks, even something as simple as a big fan, a wild animal's stress response, their bodily response would be to kind of get stressed out, kind of like a fight, fight or flight kind of thing. Like I hear something associated with humans, I have to get ready to protect myself. So that's the kind of stress feedback loop that we're talking about. When it comes to coyotes, their stress feedback loop kind of resolves itself within, I believe, just a couple of hours. And I'll, I'll go back and look this up so I can give you an exact number. But it is much faster compared to uh, rural coyotes or coyotes that live out in their natural landscapes because they're not as exposed to these sounds as the ones in urban settings, which is, I don't know why, but that is just mind blowing to me <laughs> because it seems so when we think about evolution, it take, you know, we think about it taking place over thousands and millions of years. And the type of civilization that we have now hasn't really been around that long. And so for, urban coyotes to be able to develop these physiological adaptations to just be able to live among us is just incredible. That just blows my mind. So they're able to kind of relax themselves back down quickly enough so that they can live so that not just so they can survive in these areas, but so that they can thrive. And that's, that's just amazing to me. And, and the bigger kind of the bigger um, implication of that is that, it also kind of supports their lifespan because, you know, it's kind of common. Uh, people kind of um, talk about often how stress takes years off of your life and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's got some truth to it. Um, we won't go into that, but <laughs> it definitely it definitely, definitely has some truth to it. And it's the same for, for dogs, for wild animals. And so if they're able to kind of reduce the amount of stress they experience, especially when it comes to, being in contact with humans, which they have to be at this point, we've taken so much of their natural habitat. It really serves not only to boost their ability to survive in the moment, but also just over a long term. And, and that's just that's one of my favorite things about coyotes. It's just crazy. They've figured out stress management. Oh, I could take notes from some coyotes. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, they do a lot better than I do. That's, that's uh, for sure. Can I get a coyote as a therapist? Can right. I? <laughs> Walk me through it. Please tell me how. Reveal to me your secrets, coyotes. <laughs> I like the idea that also, like you mentioned, that they kind of will like get get a little snack, go move on somewhere else, get a little something here. I like that Like they're like living off of road trip snacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean... That's another, that's one of the things that kind of is so different about not just coyotes apart from, you know, the other types of canids, but just even within themselves. Uh, because like I said, like packs, they tend to live in one area. Um, they'll choose their kind of home range and they'll stick there for a long time. But you might have one coyote in that pack that chooses like, hey, I'm kind of tired of this. I want to leave. <laughs> like, there are males, um, like older males. It's been re it's been observed many times that males will kind of just change their mind. 
And it might be caused by conflict or something like that, but they tend to kind of choose all of these different lifestyles. One might be a nomad and it'll just kind of go on forever and just walk wherever he wants to. He might choose a general area to stay in, but he'll walk for miles and miles over days just because. <laughs> like that's just they just kind of do whatever they want and that's pretty amazing. <laughs> They have such a powerful attitude. I love their energy. They're like no- <laughs> yeah. nomadic and free-spirited yeah. and resilient and low stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just, yeah, they're icons. <laughs> they're so good. And and a lot of people, I think, like have this idea that coyotes are intentionally out to ruin your day. <laughs> like yeah. that they, they want, they actively want to kill your pets or they want to, um, you know, ruin your life in any way that they can. Yeah. Yeah. But they're really just looking out for number one. Yeah, exactly. They're just, and that's, that's something that I think a lot of people don't really realize they're doing is anthropomorphizing or putting these human traits on coyotes they're not they're not a villain they don't have any ulterior motives they just want to eat and they want to go to sleep and they want to live yeah they're just kind of living their lives and we just happen to be doing the same thing in the same area so they're not they're not bad they're just trying to do their thing and I think we should let them do that and all things considered like with how rapidly human culture changes and like human technology updates and like you know the the kind of urban centers we're seeing now like even like 50 years ago would have been unthinkable um Mm -hmm. but coyotes have to like evolve during that time (laughs) yeah exactly the turnaround time is incredible That's a, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of environmental and because not only are we, we introducing all of these different types of architecture and all this stuff, we are changing the natural environment too. Even if we're not in there, you know, the surrounding area, like even I live near uh, San Bernardino National Forest and undoubtedly the city's that are surrounding the area have changed kind of the atmosphere that surrounds that forest. We can even change the soil quality depending on like what we're doing chemical wise around the area. Like there's just a lot of ways that we've kind of put this pressure on them and they've got no choice but to adapt to it. They seem to be doing pretty good though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) They're definitely, they're definitely keeping up. If not kind of ahead of us. (laughs) (laughs) They're like preemptively. They're like, I'm just going to go ahead and adapt to this before you do it. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. That kind of brings us to our next category for uh, ratings, which is ingenuity. And these are behavioral adaptations that let an animal do a good job. So these may be like strategies that they're using to solve problems or ways that they're uh, doing things with their body that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. So what would you give coyotes for ingenuity? I would definitely, I would for sure give them a 10. They're clever, huh? (laughs) Not even trying to be biased or anything, but like... They are absolutely incredible. There's there's one thing that I wanted to to say because it's like my favorite phrase and I don't know why, but it's called a misanthropic synanthrope. Or you can switch it around and say a synanthropic misanthrope. But basically what that means is the coyote is both well adapted and poorly adapted to human areas. And so kind of on the same vain is what we were saying earlier with like their stress management, but they've been able to keep up with us in such a way that on the missing, or excuse me, the synanthropic level means that it's not only an animal that survives in human habitats, but thrives. They do, their population grows. They're able to find more food. And you're just, you know, when you think about kind of cities and stuff, you're just kind of like, how is that possible? <laughs> like, there's no forest out here. There's no, um, like, like, you don't have your rivers. You don't have your, your chipmunks and stuff like you usually would. There's so much stuff that seems like it would work against their natural instincts and everything and their, their natural, their needs. But they've been able to find a way to make, to really kind of make this place their own which has just been, I don't know, they're just, they're pretty amazing. So they would definitely get a 10 in that respect. Um, 
Yeah, we have what I believe is a pack of coyotes in this patch of woods behind our house. And this is not a huge park or anything like that. This is like, it's like a small preserved like area, but it's not very big. Definitely not. I did not think it would be big enough to house a pack of coyotes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of surprised that they had made themselves at home in this relatively small patch of forest that is otherwise in the middle of a city. Yeah, you know, that's another kind of one of their golden characteristics is their pack size. It can change, but they can change the number of, of animals in their pack. And and the thing, the crazy thing, too, that I really like is they have kind of a hier- hierarchical, I hate that word. <laughs> they have this hierarchical structure in their packs where they have the male and female lead so that you know the alphas they'll lead and they'll be the ones that reproduce and everything but then you've got the subordinate ones which are usually the offspring and they'll help to take care of the younger ones while the alphas kind of take care of all the logistics so like they'll figure out where everybody needs to eat where everybody needs to sleep all that stuff but um yeah their packs are compared to the solitary animals are surprisingly adaptive. Um, They don't have to be just on their own to be able to survive in these human dominated areas. But the other thing that I wanted to highlight was this characteristic, it's called neophilia. And that just means that they are attracted to new things, whether that's new challenges, like new puzzles to figure out, or um, new objects, or just like shiny things, or really brightly colored things, <laughs> they would be attracted to those things. So think about if you had like your dog, and they're probably a puppy, they've never seen a vacuum before. Without even turning it on, some dogs are terrified of that vacuum. They will run away, or they'll do this thing where they'll run up and nip it, and then run away, that kind of thing. Because they're terrified. They don't want to deal with it. They've never seen it before. They have no clue what this thing can do to them. A coyote, on the other hand, because of their neophilic nature, they would see this thing and be like, whoa, what is that? I want to touch it. (laughs) I want to figure out what that is. So when it comes to these, uh, you know, cities and human habitats and areas and things like that, they see all of these new things whether it be kind of the challenge of crossing a street or they see a car, if they've never seen a car before, they might approach the car. So stuff like that, it can be dangerous. And that's part of why they can be recognized as a misanthrope being poorly adapted to a city life um, because they, these habits can be quite dangerous for them, uh, which is why it's, it's bad to feed wildlife. That's why it's bad to kind of try to toss it, a piece of beef to a coyote or something like that, which unfortunately a lot of people do, it kind of contributes to this unhealthy curiosity with human belongings and and, and things that are associated with humans. But then on the other side of that, this kind of neophilic nature, it makes them really able to adapt to a lot of human imposed challenges. Um, Like I said, whether it be crossing the road or, this is how they learn to kind of get through gates and get through different barriers that we put up. And that's why certain control tactics such as trapping and baiting and that kind of stuff. That's why sometimes that stuff is ineffective because they'll see it. They'll be exposed to it for a while. They'll kind of get to know our tricks and stuff. And they'll be like, nope, I know that's a trap. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to go over there. But that kind of plays into their other learning abilities too, where they will get to know. So let's say you've got one coyote in a given neighborhood. Let's call it Sunstone neighborhood. So this coyote lives in Sunstone neighborhood and he notices that his human neighbors, they wake up at 6.30 in the morning every day and they go to school and they come back and they typically don't come back outside after 8 p.m. He will then change his schedule to then come out at night at 8 p.m., And then he'll kind of relax and start like kind of winding down his day at 630 in the morning because he's gotten to know their schedule so well that he wants to avoid conflict so that he'll then adapt his life to accommodate them. Like we're not accommodating them. They're accommodating us. (laughs) But yeah, that's like another really cool thing is this. It's not only based in neophilia, but that's a huge driver of what allows them to 
be able to learn so well in the way that they do. Um, there's, there's so many different things that, that this applies to, but yeah, that's, that's for sure. They get a 10 out of 10 there. They're incredible. I like that this kind of contrasts them against dogs, which were like intentionally bred to live with humans. They have all these adaptations to live like with humans, but coyotes have like also evolved to live with humans, but very much on their own terms, like in their own way, like on their own terms, whereas dogs are, were very much on humans terms, right? Humans were like, this is what I want you to do. And coyotes were like, well, I'm going to also adapt to live with you, but in the way that I want to. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had never even thought of it that way, but that's, Exactly right. They've, it's like they're on a different kind of side of it. Like the dogs have evolved to be in the house with us and coyotes have evolved to be just right outside. <laughs> like, pretty much. Yeah, that's right on. Actually, <laughs> I, I know that uh, a lot of times I feel like you hear stories about people entering into these sort of feud relationships with coyotes, right? Because they'll start to like try to uh, you, you just have to continually like evolve your strategies for, unfortunately it takes a more of an antagonistic angle a lot of times right. for, with people. Cause they're trying to either trap the coyote or defeat the coyote in whatever way they can. Um, but the coyotes are incredibly clever. So I, I also thought it was cool how you talked about their pack structure. I love learning about the sort of social relationships and like social animals. Yeah. It's always really cool. Yeah. So the basics of the coyote pack structure. So basically you'll have, like I said, you'll have the alphas and you'll have, let's say like five offspring, right? Typically the offspring, they can stay with their parents for kind of, they can stay for up to a year. It really depends on what they want to do. Some of those offspring might go off and kind of do their own thing. They've got different periods within the year. There's one period called the dispersal period. And that's when the offspring kind of go off, separate from their their natal, which is the pack that they were born in, their natal pack. And they'll go and adopt a solitary lifestyle. But they don't all do that. Some of them stay behind. And the ones that stay behind help to raise the next year's offspring. Well, you know, if these other ones stay behind and they reach maturity and they still they're still in their natal pack, well then how like do they know which offspring to raise? How do they not have like a ton of offspring since there's like a bunch of these coyotes in one pack that are all at maturity? That's because the alpha female has certain behaviors that tell the younger females that hey, I don't want you mating, I don't want you having more puppies. And this is enforced. It's not just the alpha female that enforces this, but there's also kind of physiological stuff that's happening. But they are, they actually are very um, consistent with kind of keeping this standard. And that's something that's also really special about them when it comes to being compared to other canids is they have very um, long-standing social rules between them. Because not only do they enforce this alpha reproduction only, But they also are monogamous. There's a lot of different canid species that will have these extra pair relationships. They'll kind of go and do their own thing, have a fling here and there. But coyotes just won't. Even like no matter how the environment changes, no matter how resource abundance changes, they will stay monogamous, which is pretty crazy because it's so consistent. Of course, you know, you're going to have exceptions. You're going to have that one coyote that just like changes his mind one day. So it's not to say that it's a a hundred percent absolute rule, but it definitely, that's, that's how it plays out, which is just another like mind boggling thing. How are they so consistent with this? Which to me suggests a lot more um, intelligence and awareness than we are uh, willing to give them. Um, it seems like there's a lot more of a, I guess, a, a conscious choice. Try, I'm trying not to anthropomorphize, but it kind of really seems that way because there's a, among, you know, as a general rule, there's kind of a threshold level that they reach, uh, that can is in general, that they reach where if it gets, you know, if resources dip below this point or something like that, then they'll probably have a relationship outside of their original one. But 
even if coyotes pass that threshold, they'll just stay, which is just crazy. So their packs are really, um, in a sense, they're very close knit and very structured and, and very consistent in the way that they run. Oh, that's so cool. I'm just like thinking of the pack that lives out behind our house. I haven't seen them, but we hear them. Uh-huh. So we'll we'll go outside sometimes late at night and just hear somewhere. I, I don't want to say off in the distance because it's really not that far away. Yeah. Um, but we'll hear them kind of like yapping at each other. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like a howl, but it's kind of like similar to a howl, but it's like a yapping sound. Are yeah. they like talking to each other? Like what is the yapping all about? <laughs> so it depends because if within the same pack, they could be just trying to communicate location. You know, that that's one of the primary uses behind howls is, is identifying where each other uh, is. And they're also maybe alerting one another to a predator presence or a competitor presence, something like that. But also the different parts of the howl have different uh, functions. So if there were another pack around, they might be communicating with that other pack but the way that they howl when it comes to the really long part and then the yip, yip, yip that comes at the end, that yip, 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 it's partially meant to disorient the listener because you'll have this really long part at first. And if you think about kind of you have one coming in at a certain note and then you have the next one coming in at a different note, you can on that level, if that's all the howl was, you could probably pretty reliably count how many are in the pack. But once you get to that yipping part and then another one comes in with his long howl, then it's like, oh, my God, I don't know how many coyotes are are yelling right now. So they do that intentionally. If there is a a pack that's kind of infringing on their territory, it's partially meant to disorient, but it's also partially meant to communicate. This is how many we have in our pack. You need to stay back because you likely don't have enough people to like kind of step to us kind of situation (laughs) happening there. So that's that's part of why it's so difficult to kind of know. That's kind of know how many coyotes are living near you. And people, even like real experts on coyotes, have a difficult time estimating how many coyotes are in a single pack just because of the way not only that their howls reverberate, but the way that they do it. That's so cool that you say that because we had even remarked that that was what we were experiencing. Yeah. Because we were hearing them do this kind of like, it sounded like a part howl and then part just yapping at each other. And, you know, we were standing out there listening for like a a little while and we were like, gosh, I have no idea. (laughs) Like, I have no idea. Like, it sounds like it could be three. It could be 10. It could be 20. Uh Like, we we made that remark between ourselves where we're like, gosh, I really just cannot tell how many coyotes there are. And it worked. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They did their job. It totally worked. They yeah. they definitely outsmarted us there. For sure. For sure. Oh, I love that. That's very cool. I learned an awesome new thing that I'm definitely going to tell everybody I ever talk to about coyotes for the rest of my life. <laughs> Thank you for giving me party, like little, yeah. little party trivia facts. That's like, okay, I'm definitely guilty of that. I don't know how, like, there was once that I was standing in line to get to rent a U-Haul. And for some reason, I just started telling people about, like, the things that coyotes do. And, like, so, yeah, these things come in useful. <laughs> definitely. That is a small talk ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know about coyotes? <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. Before we wrap up, our last category that we rate animals on is probably my favorite category because it's the most completely biased and completely subjective, purely (laughs) your completely arbitrary opinion. And this is aesthetics. And this is how beautiful you think the animal is. What do you give the coyote for aesthetics? Okay, you know what? This is going to be my worst score, (laughs) which is so bad. But I'm going to give them an eight. Okay. Okay. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. We've given far lower. (laughs) (laughs) I do love coyotes. I think they are absolutely gorgeous. The reason that I give them an eight is because if you look at a coyote's face head on, they're actually like really kind of, I don't want to say ugly, but like... It's not a flattering angle. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. There you go. They, their profile is a lot better. <laughs> That's all I'll say. But yeah, like certain times they can, they look super bug eyed and like their faces <laughs> are so narrow that it's like, are you okay? <laughs> they just look kind of strange sometimes. 
I feel like if you get them from head on and you're seeing them through like either night vision of some sort or because like you know if they're out at night or mm-hmm. in the context in which we saw them which was like our neighbor's flood lamp was on them in the middle of the night mm-hmm. it's a creepy look oh yeah yeah especially with the whole shining eyes thing and you know what i think honestly i think the only reason that i feel like that because that's the only like unflattering angle is like directly looking at the guy <laughs> um but i think the only way I, the only reason i feel like that is because we've gotten so used to the broad heads of our domestic dogs um we've gotten so used to the the bulky wolf and like that being the 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 go-to species for representing wild dogs and like all that stuff so we've we've gotten so used to seeing this huge bulky animal that when we see this little scrawny thing we're like oh um are are you you okay like yeah but no they're they're really really gorgeous animals i love their poofy tail i don't know why but i'm like in love with their tail their coloration even on the west coast alone they don't even have to hybridize for it but You have um, certain coyotes that are known as melanistic, whereas they'll be really dark, almost black. I've seen like a kind of a charcoal gray kind of coyote before, which was pretty amazing. I had never, it's so striking to see. It's it's kind of thinking how like when you see a black German shepherd, you're like, whoa, that's crazy looking. Like that's kind of how it looks. And I, I think they're absolutely beautiful. I love their gigantic satellite ears. I really love in the winter time when they get super poofy um because you can they've got this kind of like sandy speckling about them most of the time um at least out here in the desert so that i just i think they're absolutely gorgeous they could just uh maybe put a little bit of makeup on when you look at them head on (laughs) get them from their good side and they're beautiful (laughs) yeah exactly just as long as you see them from the right angle they're just breathtaking (laughs) oh they're so good i love them i feel like they have small feet do they have small feet they have tiny feet yeah just like there's a couple of um pictures that if you just kind of look up and this is kind of what makes them look so lanky but if you just look up a couple of pictures of coyotes like running or just trotting along they're not only are their feet tiny but their legs are so long and skinny which is you know another adaptation for like digging and kind of getting into those burrows a little bit but yeah it's just they're really lanky things and they're super tall but yeah they're they're very their proportions are interesting (laughs) I think it's cute. I think they're running around on little stilts. I think it's cute. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're little stilts. That's a perfect description. Excellent. Well, um, before we uh, wrap up for today, I want to kind of give you the floor to talk about like your work that you've put out. I know that you you have a book. Yeah. Yeah. So there's um, two books out right now. There is Americans Hate Coyotes. And that's just my kind of a collection of essays that I've written on coyotes kind of debunking these the stigma against them as far as you know their inclination to steal livestock and just kind of a a deeper look into the management and the logistics behind coyotes and what they kind of deal with here in the United States Um, and then there is I might get this title wrong (laughs) because it's kind of a long title but um, Coyote 101 I'm just gonna shorten it to that Um, But that's just a book of 107 fun facts about coyotes and just kind of walking you through things that you may not have known or things that you did know and maybe just wanted a little bit more detail about them. Um, And then in the last chapter, I kind of go back to talking about the management of them and kind of the lethal measures that they face out here in the U.S. And really just they're both kind of my love note to the coyotes and just kind of like trying to get people to understand that they're just wild animals and they lived here a lot longer than we did. And they, they deserve a little bit more respect. They deserve to be recognized as just another animal and not as this villain. Like you said earlier, that's just like out to get us. And they're not that they just want to kind of live their lives. So yeah, those are the two books that are going on right now. And I'm, I'm working on another one. I am very passionate about people posing as conservationists on social media and kind of misleading the public. You know, originally I intended for this book to come out uh, a month ago, 
But the more that I worked on it, I really want to put more time and attention into it. I don't want to rush it um, because it's something that really means a lot to me. And I want to give it the time that it deserves. So, and I, and I want to make sure that people understand the implications of using animals as props yet pretending to be a conservationist. I really want people to understand how dangerous that is for the wildlife. Um, so that one's kind of a work in progress, but it can, you can view the synopsis and stuff of, of what it'll be on my website and I will announce a date when I can, but yeah, that's, that's the stuff that I've got cooking right now as far as books are concerned. Awesome. And where can people find your presence online if they want to keep an eye out for the, for that upcoming date and just follow along with your other awesome activities? Yeah, so on Instagram and on Twitter, I am High Psycom, um, which is H I G H S C I C O M M. And then on uh, my website is blackflowerscience.co. So on there, I kind of, I really like to walk people through a lot of scientific concepts and stuff just kind of teaching them about like what is ecology, what is evolution, what is biology, um, every now and then kind of updating with certain news stories and that kind of stuff. But um, we're trying to get a, a set schedule there, but that platform has a very special place in my heart because I want it to be kind of an area where um, people of color in STEM especially can have their voices heard and be represented and be um, represented as authorities on their subjects. Um, so right now it's me and two other uh, women that are writing it. And uh, yeah, so that's the website. And then those are my social media handles. If you want to kind of get in touch with me there, I'm a little bit of on a hiatus right now, but I am still kind of present, but yeah, that's where you can find me. <laughs> awesome. Sweet. We love making new friends. I really appreciate you taking all this time to talk to us. Uh, you've made a very strong case for coyotes. I hope that at least one mind has been changed about yeah. coyotes today. If one mind can be changed about coyotes, then all of this will have been worth it if I can, if we can get one person on Team Coyote. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. It has been so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.